everyone to our morning edition of After Further Review. Mark Ferreira, John Pelkey, Jeff Taylor, our producer. We're joined by Derek Abbott, as we are a lot of Fridays these days in uh, football season. He's one of, uh, he's probably the favorite guest and actually host of uh, After Further Review for many of our listeners. Uh, again, I don't know how many listeners are out there know about our 10 a.m. We talked about it in the last uh, the last show, I believe we talked about it. Yep. We had a different time. I'm not, I'm not sure we mentioned 10 o'clock. I didn't do anything to promote no. the 10 a.m. No. thing. John John has been busy running back and forth getting COVID tests from Tampa. So I am. still. We got another play. rapid test today, so I'll he's let you know. A, he's got another rapid test today, and he's got uh, the big game tonight, uh, the Toronto Raptors and the Miami Heat in the uh, preseason. What, the, the pre-season. It's the penultimate preseason game, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe, but I think their next one's on the road. It's our only, their only home, uh, preseason game. And then next, uh, 20, the 23rd, we have, uh, the first regular season game. So. so we're all very excited. It is a fabulous, fantastic football <laughs> family. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Friday. We love these Fridays, Derek. It's so great to have you here. And, uh, before we even get into the show, let's talk about the game last night, which was really, I mean, you talked about that incredibly entertaining game, John, between the Browns and the Ravens. Yeah. Well, you get one between the Chargers and the Raiders where it seemed like the Raiders, every time they, especially with Marcus Mariota, you know, they would have, I don't know, 35 play drives. <laughs> they would just matriculate down the field for 35 plays. And then, you know, Herbert would, would chuck one for 50 yards. But it's, yeah. it is, it was a really fun back and forth game. And it was really fun to see Marcus Mariota play as well as he did. He threw the one pick. Yeah. But well, that, and that was, was, a, that was that one was of the a, best games I've ever seen him play. He had a touchdown running the ball. He had like 80 yards run, rushing. And it goes to show you. Passing. It goes to show you. They they obviously prepared for Derek Carr. And Marcus Mariota gives you a completely different look from Derek Carr. And that it, it's funny. I was driving back from Tampa. And I had uh, I got I got three free months of Sirius Satellite Radio. Because I because I had my car serviced at the Mazda dealership, so I was able to listen to the game wow. on the radio and Beautiful. actually and actually hear it. And they were they were they were saying when Mariota came in, they said, "Wow, I wonder if they have any RPO stuff prepared for him." Because really, during the season, and Derek knows this as well, the backup quarterback doesn't get a lot of reps, and you're not you're not installing backup quarterback plays going in, just assuming your guy's going to get hurt. But they were able to run them, and man, the Raiders were not ready for them. But you're right, Mark. That was as entertaining a game as you would ever see. Um, Anthony Lynn's kind of a hard luck a coach, I think. It, but I, if if the Raiders any coach that right, coaches for the Chargers, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Any coach that coaches for the Chargers is by definition a hard luck coach. If it's, uh, it's the it, culture, it's it's, it's it might it's be the franchise. It might be even even after the move, but if the if the Raiders could just figure out what the late season swoon under John Gruden is, um, they they're they're a lot of fun, and I like Derek Carr. Well, we'll see. I don't know how this uh, what his groin injury is, but uh, yeah, great great game, and special teams will kill you. Oof, special teams will kill you. So so Derek, you had uh, texted me that evidently, and and I don't remember you you uh, throwing Herbert under the bus at any point in time, but you said you finally realized you you weren't wrong about throwing him under the bus. It was just the Oregon coaches who didn't prepare him properly. Cause that, cause all you could, all you could base it on was tape and right. he, you know, and, and he didn't look, he didn't look good in your mind, but that's changed. No, we've lost audio. I'm not hearing Derek. Are you muted? Did you mute? Yep. 
Oh. It well, says his mic is connected. Is he doing the Stuart Scott? Remember that? ESPN The Weekend, Mark. Every time Stuart Scott would we'd introduce him, he's the first guy. And Stuart Scott would like, ladies and gentlemen, Stuart Scott. And he'd get up there and he'd be like, right. the sound guys are just losing their mind. He was hilarious. And then one time he did a mic drop, but he actually took, Jeff, you'll appreciate this. He actually took the microphone, the, the, the Sennheiser microphone or whatever the hell he had, and on, he just dropped it on the stage. He threw it down. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, you back. All right, yeah, we, yeah, got, we, we got Derek okay, back. Derek back. So, like I was saying about Mario, he's playing some really, really good football right now. Um, I think what's really the most impressive thing is pre-snap recognition too, where the blitz is coming, throwing hot, and then um, also you know throwing when he's got guys in his face. I think that's been really, really impressive by him. Now, how about Justin Herbert? How about we revisit the, the sore subject uh, of you? I guess not appreciating him coming in. You texted me saying uh, you're not wrong. It's the tape you watch with the Oregon coaches preparing him improperly. Yeah, I mean, at, at Oregon, it just almost looked like sometimes that he wasn't like he didn't use his legs as much as you'd like him to. He's doing that at the pro level. Um, he's extending plays outside of structure. He, he's doing all the things that you would have liked to have seen him do at Oregon more often. And he's actually a better pro, I think, um, than he is a, uh, than he was a college prospect. And I think a little bit too, was a little bit by, uh, paralysis by analysis that everybody was kind of looking for something wrong with Herbert during the process and just kind of, uh, kind of overthought things a little bit too. It reminds me, uh, Derek, of uh, Dan Marino because his uh, next to last year, in, in I guess he came out as a junior, right? So his sophomore year, he had a better year than he did in his junior year. And, you know, there's all the speculation. People have caught up with him, blah, 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 blah. But it was kind of the same thing. And I agree with you with Dan Marino. People were looking for reasons not to, not to draft him and trying to talk themselves out of it. But I will say, and I watch, Mark knows this, I watch a ton of Pac-12 football, stay up late on Saturday nights when, after my wife goes to bed and watch it. And he did, it did look like those defenses had caught up with Oregon a little bit. And I think to your point, I think it had more to do with the coaching there. And I've heard that since, is that they really didn't adjust and do the things that they needed to do. Oregon gets really, really great athletes. And mm -hmm. Eric Parsegian told me years ago about Texas when Mac Brown was there, those guys aren't as prepared coming in because they're such superior athletes. They don't have to scheme for them. They don't have to teach them things that you have to learn when you're on uh, on that better better level. Uh, I, I just we, we talked about this off air, and I just want to ask if you agree with me that the reason that uh, uh, I almost said Oakland, no, John Gruden, uh, the reason that Las Vegas um, uh, had as much success as they did with Marcus Mariota is that he gives. Uh, he gives the Chargers a unique he, – he gave – excuse me. He gives the Raiders a really, really unique backup quarterback, which is a guy with a completely different skill set um, that still can have success in their run offense. But it was obvious last night. The Chargers in no way were prepared for any sort of RPO stuff. No, you saw them run a ton of uh, zone read stuff too where Mariota pulled the ball. Some of it may have been designed. I'm not in the building. I don't know if it's designed or not, but you can see that Gruden really had a great package for a con or a contingency plan if Carr goes down. And I thought that they executed really well, other than the the one pick. Um, ironically enough, uh, something that Al Davis always used to talk about. Uh, Mike Lombardi talked about it in his book and on his podcast. That Davis would like demand 
that his defensive coaches know who the backup quarterbacks were for the other team and have a plan for them. Um, you could tell that the Chargers really weren't, you know, prepared for a guy that was able to pull the ball and run it as well as Mariota. Um, and I think that that took him by surprise a little bit too. But I mean, some some people prepare for it. Some people just say, you know, if we don't have time for it. We got to move on. Um, it's just a coach to coach, uh, staff to staff thing. But yeah, I thought that he played extremely well. Um, made defined throws and reads. I mean, there was a couple ones that he missed. He missed Waller going up the sideline on the wheel route. Um, he just put it behind him and Steve puts it out in front of him. I believe he was beyond the safety. If he puts it out in front of him, Waller probably just runs and goes with it. Um, but like, a, like you know, it, it, on their defensive side too, they struggled last night, especially in that last drive, um, their secondary. I was actually talking to Fabian about it. He FaceTimed me last night at like midnight. I'm like, <laughs> I need to go home and Fabe FaceTime me. He's like, man, did you watch that? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, they're playing match quarters and the guy gets beat deep. And I'm like, I ah, know I saw it, man. <laughs> well, and, and they made the point, Derek, and I'm sure as a, as a quarterback and a former quarterback and a coach, you saw this. I don't know their, their young corner whose name escapes me presently, who just oh. had a, yeah, had a, that horrible night. He was doing things that uh, they were talking. Kurt Warner was talking about that are just these, you know, like not even rookie mistakes, like first year college mistakes, mm -hmm. jumping on uh, jumping on underneath routes on third and long and letting guys get behind him. And, you know, the question that the only question that was uh, that, that Warner was throwing out there is, was this something that they focused on not getting beat with that? And he didn't understand the schemes because to your point, it really did look like the secondary guys made some bad plays, but it looked like coaching wise, they were confused a lot of the time. Well, defense, all it always comes down to assignment alignment football. Um, are you able to get to your assignment line up, right? Um, and then execute it to, to a high level. Um, I don't know that they're doing that to a great degree. They also, you know, obviously fired the defensive coordinator. So, you know, you're adjusting. Yeah. On the fly. Um, if, I mean, that last play that the Herbert long deep ball, they were playing essentially what we call match quarters, match cover four. So anything beyond 10 yards, it turns into man coverage. Um, it's not your typical cover four where people think, oh, well, they got to get back. And like, you know, people in Madden, oh, it's third and 90. I'm going to go, I'm going to play cover four. Well, that's not always what cover four does. Um, you're essentially taking a, a, a quarter, um, and then anything, so if the safety is looking at the number two receiver, if that receiver goes past a certain depth, um, whether it's 10 yards, seven yards, whatever it is, it becomes man. That's your guy. Same thing with the corner on the outside. So what happened was is they ran it out, either an outer or a corner. I, I can't remember from the slot. The outside guy ran a post. So the safety sees him push vertical. He breaks out. So the safety's going to come down on the corner, the outer, whichever it was. And then that leaves the post open behind so now the corner's got to make a play on it it's a rule breaker it was a great design play and when it was even better throw um you just get kind of caught in those kinds of things you would like them to see that and trade that off but they just didn't do that that wasn't what the assignment was so you talk about defensive assignments and mm -hmm. alignments and that's sort of what all most defensive football boils down to let's let's transition into what we're talking about today let, let let's talk about the defensive rookie of the year, Chase Young, and what he does with those assignments. Now, now, talk to me about the pure talent that he has that's able to blow up stuff on the on the other side of the line, and, and then tell me, co combine that with how disciplined he is with the schemes Washington employs as a defense because we've all talked about how strong they were 
talent-wise and schematic-wise coming into this season already before they drafted the phenomenal rookie? Well, the, the great thing about their D-line is, is, yes, they're able to get there with only four players, but they also scheme up some blitzes and some, some stuff with their linebackers as well to, to get pressure on the quarterback. So not only are you having a elite talent in Chase Young, he's almost like a juiced-up Bud Dupree. I mean, how big he is the way that he runs. I mean, I believe the one that he scooped and scored, like he yeah. runs and then dropped back into coverage. It's like you don't see that too often. Right? Yeah, that was unbelievable. Like five different things and – I mean, he, he is elite, and he's going to be a problem, especially that defense that has come along really, really far um, throughout this season. And they're, they're a team that's getting hot late, and I, I certainly wouldn't want to be a team that has to play them in the playoffs, especially if I got to go on the road to, to Washington to play them. Because, you know, if they win the division, they're going to get a home playoff game. Wow. Now they're going, they're going on the road to Seattle, though, correct? Or is, or is that at home? I, I'm sorry, I should know this. But they're playing the Seahawks, and that's that offensive line. That that's true. So can can, but again, it's Russell Wilson right. who knows how to. And 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 what my experience is following the 49ers and last year specifically with a guy like Nick Boza, who did to the 49ers defense what Chase Young is doing to the Washington defense. Um, they still had a problem containing Wilson. They, as a matter of fact, it almost seemed like the edge rushing schemes that they have are designed, uh, aren't necessarily designed with running quarterbacks in mind. They're designed with pocket passers. Does that make any sense? And and is there, is there a, um, I don't know, an overconfidence in thinking that Washington's just going to blow up, you know, and, and sack Seattle five times, sack Wilson five times? Is there a little overconfidence perhaps in that, or is there a justification for thinking that? Well, it, it kind of really depends on how you rush these guys. Um, Wilson, so for example, for like Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, you think of them as, as as running quarterbacks, right? But Wilson's not a running quarterback. He's a scrambling quarterback. So he is looking to make a play within behind the line of scrimmage downfield and, and not take off the ball. He only really takes off the ball in the fourth quarter or if he needs a first down or something like that. Kyler Murray, that that's part of their game. So really – for for Washington, the way that you really have to play Russell Wilson, you have to play two deep safeties, and you have to be able to get there with four, but also collapse the pocket from the interior and tell your ends to not rush all the way upfield. You want to stay at the same level as the quarterback and not let him escape on the outside, collapse it from within. Um, Seattle's really struggled against the Giants versus some of their too high, their cover two looks, and really it takes away their deep ball to, to DK Metcalf. You're able to double guys and get two and really take the top off. Um, They've kind of struggled with, with quick game. Um, Wilson likes to hold on to the ball a little bit more than you would like him to, which causes some of those sacks. So I think for Seattle, really getting the ball out quick, um, which, again, that is not something that Wilson does really well. <laughs> you really don't want to <laughs> scramble on what we call three-step drops, three-step pass right. concepts, whether it's stick, a slant, or a quick out, or something like that. Really, I mean, it's catch ball, get it out. So – Really, when you're double patting it or, or trying to make a play, that's when stuff gets dicey because your offensive line is only in, you know, hard slide right, hard slide left. 
Uh, yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, too, because uh, people think of uh, Wilson as a running quarterback and, uh, you know, pointing out uh, something I was listening to. He was sacked more than any other quarterback in the NFL last year. So, it's you know, he doesn't take – he's got more than a uh, guy who's ahead of his time. Doug Flutie, he said, we interviewed Mark a number of times, and they talked about him running around, and he said, I'm not looking to run. I'm looking downfield when I'm moving because uh, it's it, I would prefer to get the ball in somebody else's hands. It just so happens that both Wilson and – Flutie back in the day could can hurt you with your legs. Let's talk about uh, I would with say, I would say that Wilson his comp to me would be Fran Tarkington. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a very good one, very good one, Sir Francis. Uh, he's Georgia Bulldog, so we won't talk any more about him. Uh, but now that 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 is a really good one. Um, now let, I'm going to flip the. The, the teams because Washington's defense is quite good. And Jack Del Rio, I think to the point as getting used to his talent, you know, they, people didn't have the off season workouts that they did. And I think as he gets used to that talent, you're right. That, that defense is, is, uh, is going to be difficult for anybody. Sadly, that offense is not going to be difficult for too many people. Um, it, the Washington offense and the Seattle defense, uh, break that down for us. What, what, what does the Washington football team have to do to have some more success offensively? Well, it really greatly depends on who's starting at quarterback on Sunday. Um, I think it's going to be Alex Smith at this point. They're they're optimistic that he'll play. Mm-hmm. I still I still every time I, I watch him play, I feel like a scared mother. Oh yeah, <laughs> well, uh, how can you not? And, and I don't know that Dwayne Haskins is going to come in and have a Mariota type performance where I think he went like seven to twelve for sixty some yards last week um, so nothing you know to to really convince you that he can come in and start and be effective well more than effective um but for alex smith in this offense i think getting gibson running um and, and their rushing attack or mckissick and and some of the other guys what they did against the steelers too is is really exploit the steelers linebackers in the past game with, with the running backs too dumping it off to to those guys that are able to make plays in space um they really don't have any big name players on the perimeter there. So uh, I think using your running backs and kind of going to an old school West coast out of the gun, um, getting your running backs and then obviously the run game too. And it's, you know, what was the score? 12 to five or something. (laughs) The giants game. It was one of those. It it feels like if Washington has a real chance at this, it's going to be one of those kinds of games where they Mm -hmm. really shut down Seattle uh, because of what you just outlined, they they are disciplined on the ends. They don't run past him. They keep him they keep him contained, and they get a lot of pressure in the middle at him. And uh, and then they you know they they bottle up Metcalf deep. Yeah. So the, those are those are great strategies to keep them contained. But to John's point, to your point, you know, it, it, a, a safety and a couple of field goals. <laughs> Might be what Washington well, can muster offensively, I think unless, they defense get, uh, unless they get two defensive touchdowns like they did last week. I think either their defense has to score or they have to create turnovers in a very short field uh, for the for the Washington offense for them at, at this point because uh, Seattle's arguably got as much or more to play for than Washington. It's it's an interesting game. It, 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 to, to your point, I, I will say this about Haskins: I think he played better than a lot of us expected he would coming off the bench because they weren't explosive. They're not explosive anyway, but uh, he really sort of did play within himself. And I know the coaching staff was happy that after those weeks, because they didn't know how he would respond having been benched. 
Um, so he played a little bit better for them. But, um, you know, these two teams could meet very easily meet again in the playoffs. Let, let me ask you this, John, real quick. Why do you think Seattle has more to play for than the than the than the, than the footballers? Uh, I think I, I think Seattle needs to, in their own mind, create. Uh, uh, I, I think they're um, I, I think their confidence level is a little lower than it than it needs to be running into the playoffs. Because I think they're a team that if they get everything together and get it right, uh, a lot of people think they can beat Green Bay. They can beat. Uh, some of the elite teams in this division. Uh, I think Washington knows that uh, it's, if, if things go chalk in the uh, NFC, uh, generally you can pick up a game uh, with a loss. So I don't think they really have to worry about too much. I, but they're really they're really only a, a half a game ahead. If if, if yeah. they end up tying, they've lost both games to the Giants. So really, yeah. I get, and I said essentially around the same to play for. I, I just think Seattle needs to uh, Seattle needs to just button themselves up a little bit. Uh, and, because I think that they are they are a true challenger. Washington could act as spoiler with that defense, I think, and win a playoff game in a matchup situation. But they're not going to make a deep run. We know that. Uh huh. And Seattle has the potential to do that. I, I think do. they have the potential to be a championship team, but I'm they're not, not playing as a championship yeah. team right now. I th- I think you're right. I think they have all the elements, and certainly defensively, as of late, they seem to have gotten their stuff together. Uh, would you agree with that, Derek? Defensively, that they seem to have. Uh, now maybe it's just the quality of the opponents when you play the Giants and the Jets. You know you're gonna your defense is gonna look good, but uh, is there something about their defense over the last say month that indicates to you that they figured something out because they were getting gashed yeah. as bad as the Cowboys were early in the season? Yeah, well obviously having Jamal Adams back um, helps big time. He, he brings some juice and some energy and some speed to that defense, especially when they bring him down in the box and. Helps a ton in the run game. Um, it, you know, it, it, the Jets game, I think, is really more like a get-right game. Um, that's what we call those kind of things. Or <laughs> get-right games. Um, so I think that that, that, essentially, that really helps. You're able to kind of try some things that you wouldn't typically do or really find things that you've, you've struggled with or gotten away from. So um, they're playing some more too high stuff, and then obviously bringing Adams into the box and playing their basic cover three stuff and and, and creating issues and, and also blitzing Adams as well. Yeah. So, I, John, if you don't mind, I, I really want to focus yeah. as well on Chase Young. We've talked about him within that defensive scheme. We've talked about the kind of player he is. Now, I compare him to Bosa last year because of what one player did for the entire defense, but I look at young and i looked at that fumble recovery to your point i mean he looks like an otherworldly player even beyond a bosa type in terms of just the physical attributes and the and the football intelligence and knowing exactly what's happening on the field at any given time and and then just the you know the the speed and the size I don't know. Is there something about him that's even beyond a Nick Bosa in your mind? And what would that be? Well, I mean, obviously the reach too with the long arms, he's able to to really get some separation from offensive linemen and then really just having such a, a wide variety of tools in the toolbox of whether, you know, speed rush, bull rush, swim move, whatever you can do. And then obviously fire zone, blitz him and, and put him out and put him into the flat or something like that. And he can really just kind of collapse the pocket really, really quickly. And um, he's at, he's really, really climbing the ladder of best defensive players um, in the, in the league. And he also, it also helps obviously to have, you know, three other guys on that defense yeah. and 
that yeah pick your poison on pick your poison double teaming guys because they have other guys who require double teams as well even ryan kerrigan who's now a decade into his career is still a tough is is still a tough out i think the thing that was most apparent to me was people forget most of these guys playing in the nfl in high school they were like all americans on both sides of the football i guarantee you chase young was either a tight end or a running back when he was in high school because he just yeah he's 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 just a freak uh nice draft choice i i clap for the washington football team finally did something right i'm just wait <laughs> right. just waiting for him to screw it up just waiting for it to screw might want to trade him for picks that's a that's you know you want picks right isn't that what you want isn't that the patriot way they should trade him for picks. trade him for a team name <laughs> call him the, chase like the, footballers. <laughs> the footballers i love the footballers the Chase Youngs. Any other thoughts, Johnny, uh, uh, about your uh, Washington football team? No, and, I think and, it's and the Seahawks should be a fun game. Yeah, no, I think it's. I think Old this school. is a good matchup for uh, of the playoff caliber teams. I think this is a good matchup for Washington uh, again because that defense with what that defense can do. But you're right, Mark. They're they're not the type of team that if if a team shakes loose and goes up two touchdowns, um, that they're going to catch up with them. So run the football. Uh, and figure out how uh, how you uh, how you contain Russell Wilson, or at least try to get the ball, um, make him hold on to the ball as long as uh, as he has been. Because again, you can't criticize him a lot, but that's the one thing. Keep you got to keep everything in front of you versus Seattle. Yep, and and then on offense, Alex Smith is good at mm-hmm. playing keep away. You know, if you just want to kind of keep the ball, doesn't have to be explosive. He's a he's a and that true West Coast good. offense we talked about, that old Game school manager. West Coast offense, he's great with it. Yeah, it's, you know, five yards per attempt, whatever it is. That's you know, 12-minute drives. I want 12-minute drives. It's just play keep away from Russell Wilson. All right, so let's go to the other game we want to talk about, which I think is pretty fun, which is the Eagles and the Cardinals. The Cardinals are a bit of an enigma. And, uh, you know, all anyone could talk about after last week's game was Jalen Hurts coming in there and, you know, Running, I think. What? How many yards did uh, Jalen Hurts have on the ground, John? Four hundred forty-four. Four hundred forty-four, which yeah, we believe be some is sort a of record. record for a quarterback. Yep. And uh, what he did with that team, the excitement he put in that team. Uh, you know what this is like, Derek, when it when an entire team can be infused uh, because of one player, because of a change, and uh, a team like the Eagles, especially if they get a little bit healthier, could probably go on a bit of a run. Do you agree with that or not? Yeah, he definitely brings some juice. Um, I think, too, that, uh, you know, this was a really, really good game plan by Doug Peterson and some of the things that he implemented uh, with the quarterback runs, the design play action, uh, really a lot of one-read stuff where he's not thinking too much. And um, really, Peterson put the uh, the burden on him to make the game complicated for Doug Peterson and not Jalen Hurts, so really just simplifying the game for him. I don't want to say that, um, it was dumbing it down for, for a player that can't handle it. It's his first start in an NFL game. Um, obviously, you're going to see things that you haven't seen before, um, especially when you're coming in in the middle of the year. Uh, they had more motions, um, some shifts, some, some RPOs off, and some quarterback runs off that he even did when he was at Oklahoma as well, where um, they had a run back to the left, the tight end to the left. They motioned at the receiver or whoever it was, the tight end. Um inside um, next to the tight end that's on the line. And then they just run basically quarterback power or quarterback lead. Um, so a lot of those things um, you're not doing with Carson Wentz as much, but it was a really, really great game plan by Doug Peterson. Um, 
and it didn't look like that uh, the Saints were all that uh, ready for it. Um, you know, the thing that uh, I think, Derek, and you can speak to this as having been a quarterback, the thing about Hurts is if you look at his journey to get where he was, I just don't think anything feels too big for him. And he didn't seem like the game seemed big for him because if you look at his career at Alabama, the success he had, then bench, then comes off the bench and plays well, tr- has to transfer somewhere else. He's had success everywhere, and he's just a winner. I, I think that's the thing that – and if you read about you know, Philadelphia – and what the response is to him from uh, the media up there and people who know about football, it's just like they they were very impressed. And I don't think it should have been surprising at how uh, how he played within himself. Uh, that's just who he is. The question about him is always going to be his ability to pass from the pocket, because you you have to figure that out at some point. Um, speak to him as a passer and what you're you've seen. Again, it wasn't as uh, diverse a passing playbook for a kid's first start, but what do you see him there? And do you see him as a guy who can settle into that and be good enough to have consistent success? Well, I think that's yet to be seen. Um, I, I don't, it's only been what one game, game and a half to really get a, a full evaluation on him. Sure. Um, you, you really need about three or four games. First ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder if you can recognize things with him that he's doing well, given his limited amount of, you know, exposure to the, the NFL game. He, he's playing within the structure of what they're doing or what they're asking him to do. He's not turning the football over. He's making one read, two read, whatever it is, and then getting the ball out of his hands, not and then taking care of the ball. That's really all you can ask for out of a young quarterback. Um, here's your here's your menu. Know it, learn it, go with it. He's also everywhere he's been. He's been a great leader and a uh, – a great student of the game, a hard worker, whether it was at Oklahoma or Alabama, even after he got benched. Um, the greatest thing I've seen on him was was the Mooch interview at the Combine where, you know, Mariucci's telling him to draw up plays. And he's like, oh, yeah, this, 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 this. And Mariucci, you know, he's got the Mariucci hands and everything. Um, <laughs> so, it, But Hertz was like, oh, yeah, I know what this is. I know what this is. So he, he's absolutely a student of the game. Um, he's only going to grow uh, more. You know, mentally and obviously the physical physical stuff will always follow it's always mental first for a quarterback because sometimes it looks like there's 45 guys out there sometimes it looks like you're throwing on air yeah and it didn't and again that was the thing to him is it just looked like he, the game wasn't too fast for him he was still obviously hampered mark by the fact that he's he, it was his first start and you're they're not going to open up the playbook but he just uh he just looks like he's got the mentality for it and i i'm, I'm cheering for him even Me though I don't too. care for the I Eagles. Think it's great. Well, I I I'd like to break down this matchup, but I think I think when you've when you've been in a uh, system, you know, you've been in the Alabama system, you've been in the Oklahoma system, you know, you're used to at least the fastest speed at the college level. So maybe the the transition isn't quite as bad for a guy like him. But again, the, the issue with else. guys, the issue with guys, and, and let's remember, you look at Super Bowl quarterbacks, and they generally don't come from power programs. Those guys, and the issue with a lot of those guys is that the people around them are so good that they yeah. look better than they actually are. Because you know, if you're the quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. You can probably argue every team you play, at least nine of your starters are considerably better than the team you're playing against. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed for him because I think he's uh, I, I think he's a guy who deserves success and strikes me to, to, to what Derek said, strikes a lot of people as a guy who down the line may be maybe a coach. He seems like he's got that sort of mentality. Yeah, I'm rooting, I'm rooting for him as well. Ahead, I, mean, I think I think a big part of that, too. Um, with the development of a quarterback is obviously the coaching staff and understanding 
the mental capacity of your guy? Um, do you have to bring him along slowly? Do you have to make the fine reads for him? Or can you just throw the kitchen sink at him right away and tell him to take over? Um, ideally, I think you would like to have a progression where you would like him to really learn on his own and be able to start almost teaching you what you've been teaching him and basically not regurgitate it, but really learn it and understand what, what you're trying to accomplish on each play. Um, I think that that's really the best way to, to teach some of these guys because um, the college game and the pro game has never been closer in my mm. some of the concepts and everything. So you're seeing a lot of these things translate and coaches are more open to looking at the, the college game, even the high school game. Um, that's where RPOs really came from and stemmed from. So I, I think that there's a marriage between quarterback, the head coach, and the play caller that, that really needs to be um, looked at and, and, and evaluated properly for, for a quarterback to develop, too. So what about this game uh, between the Eagles and the Cardinals? This is a tough one. The Cardinals are favored by six. But from week to week, you never know what kind of Cardinals team shows up. And, and the Eagles may have, to your point, the juice they need to kind of coagulate themselves together and, and maybe, I don't know, be a tough out. Yeah, I think it's going to be the same plan I just said with Wilson, too, and their pass rush. Really, what New England did, and they teach this, to not – wherever Murray is, do not rush past him. So stay right at, at the same level as him so he cannot escape. If he has to escape, he has to run around you, like definitively around you, and then collapse it from the inside. Um, I thought that they did that against Taysom Hill pretty well. Um, this is obviously an offense that we've talked about that is not a very rhythmic offense. Or, well, they need to be in a rhythm to be effective. So that's kind of where the, a lot of the inconsistency is coming from. I um, mean, if you look in the last oh, maybe five, six years, even Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech, they've struggled late in the season. They dropped games when he was at Texas Tech, I believe. It was like four out of six games or whatever it was when he was at Texas Tech one year. Um, and then they kind of they did it last year, too, I believe. So whether teams are catching up to it or getting used to it, but a lot of that has to do with them getting into a rhythm offensively and, and kind of, I don't know, it, it's a, uh, I don't know how, even how you would explain it. It's like a, a, a front runner type offense that you got to get going, have some confidence and complete some throws. And then obviously Kyler Murray being effective in their run game. If Kyler Murray isn't effective in their run game, their offense is going to really sputter. It might benefit the Eagles, Mark, that um, that Jalen Hurts is uh, – that Carson Wentz is out and Jalen Hurts is there because the Eagles in, in practice are, can see a quarterback who can move around a little bit differently. It might be better a recognition for them. Um, I, I, can I just change uh, – subjects for just just a second because I heard something interesting and I wanted I immediately thought I want to I want to talk to Derek about this yesterday I think it was Greg Cosell was on and he was talking about um, Lamar Jackson and and he said something that was really interesting and I hadn't heard before was he said when he watches Jackson he sees him creating his own um, his, his own problems with the rush by his movement in the pocket he's moving into traffic as opposed to moving out of traffic you've watched um, film on him. Is that something that we're seeing because he's known for such a such a great athlete that Cosell said, now he can get out of those problems because he is a special athlete. But is that something um, that you're seeing from him as well, that his movement within the pocket is, in, uh, for lack of a better term, the wrong movement? Well, he, to, to Greg Cosell, and he's fantastic. I, oh, he's I have, remarkable. 
I, I learn something new every time I listen to him. I, he's so awesome. Um, but it, it, yes, to, when when you watch him, he steps up when he probably doesn't need to step up, and he ends up running into the back of his line at times. But he's able to bounce off, scramble right, and throw a ball forty yards downfield to uh, to Brown for a touchdown. Those are the things that he just does. Um, but like like to Cosell's point, you know, he steps up when he doesn't need to. Um, he really closes windows in the pocket like by himself. Um, so I think his eyes sometimes drop and say, okay, how can I move around in this pocket and then get my eyes back downfield? Um, Interesting. This is coming from a short quarterback that I had to know the protections because I had to know where the passing lanes were. Um, so if we had one protection on where the center, the right guard, and the right tackle all slid, and my left guard and my left tackle were man on backside, I knew that I would have a window to the backside because I knew that my tackle would kick step and my guard would be nose to nose with whatever would be the three technique or whatever. So I knew that my escape outlet was always the back door because my cac- my tackle would kick slide out. So if I didn't like something, I knew that I can get out to the backside. Hmm. So understanding your protections too, I think is a big part of it because then you could know basically where your exit plans are or where your exit doors are. Um, and where your windows are too. So if I want to throw a curl, okay, my window might between might be between my you know uh, guard and tackle play side. So these are all short quarterback things. I'm sure guys that are above six foot don't have this issue. Um, <laughs> Justin the, Herbert never had to learn any of this. <laughs> I, I, will you, I will tell you that there were some times that um, I just you had to put faith in some guys and go, this is where he's supposed to be. So. And here's the window, and the defense is playing it this way, so he should be there. <laughs> well, it sometimes. It, well, for but for Baltimore fans who you know are seeing this and and their talk about uh, regression for uh, Lamar Jackson in the back, and of course the discussion is: if they, are the uh, defense is catching up? Is he regressing a little bit? What we're talking about is essentially pocket discipline, right? It, that's something that uh, is. Michael Vick talked about it. And again, I bring up Vick because he is probably the closest thing as an athlete that I've seen to Lamar Jackson. And he talked about how long it took him to learn those things. Um, But I think John Harbaugh is a better coach than Michael Vick got early in his career and his coaching staff. That's something pocket discipline that you think Jackson will be learning throughout his career. I think he has to. Um, I think the, the biggest uh, really the two quarterbacks that I always think of when I think of like pocket discipline and po- throwing from the pocket that went in really two different directions was Russell Wilson and Colin Kaepernick. Um, Kaepernick didn't always thrive from the pocket. He, he really thrived outside of structure. And yes, you could make throws from the pocket. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that he was better out of structure at times. Um, with Wilson, it was the same thing earlier in his career. They did a lot of boots. He would make second reaction plays. But as his career has progressed, he has become an elite pocket passer, where I don't think that Kaepernick ever became an elite pocket passer. Mm-hmm. That's so true. There's no doubt about that. We'll see about Jackson. I think Jackson, you know, what? it's his third year, correct? Right. It's his third year. And mm-hmm. he still has a, um, you know, still – we're just looking at his stats this year and comparing him to last year. We threw like 36 touchdowns last year and four interceptions or whatever it is. You know, it's mm-hmm. tough. It's tough. It's tough to match that. And um, I think he ran for over 1,200 or 1,300 yards as well. So, what uh, we'll see, he's got a very nice record as a quarterback, and that's in the end what you want your quarterback to do, right? Is to win the yeah. ball game. Uh, so, play within their own scheme and their own 
their own game style. I think when you get them out of their style, um, yep. their kind of bully ball kind of way of playing, same way that Tennessee does at times, um, I think that that's when they struggle too. And, you know, we've kind of talked about it here that, you know, he kind of struggles every now and then throwing outside of the numbers from the pocket. So mm-hmm. a lot of people clogging up the middle, congesting it, taking away the seams and the, and the quick throws and the slants and the dig routes, crossers, things of that nature. And then when he throws outside the pocket on some of those outs and comebacks is where I think he kind of struggles. And then he's at times he gets away from just good mechanics. I think he throws the ball sidearm sometimes for no reason, drops the elbow, doesn't have good uh, footwork every now and then. Um, He just kind of gets sloppy. Um, And I think that that's what causes him to miss. He's not a, um, his throwing mechanics don't resemble like a baseball player, like where he has maybe a little bit of a wind up and a torque like a Russell Wilson or even a Josh Allen or a Mahomes. It's more of like he's throwing darts. So it's really coming straight from the elbow, um, elbow and out. So at times when you're throwing, like you're throwing darts every now and then, that elbow would drop and then you miss on a throw high. And that's also going to make it difficult to throw because they talk about he has difficulty with downfield throws outside the hash marks. And it's because if you're if you have those sort of mechanics, you're really not getting as much heft behind the football, no matter how strong your arm is. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's get used to it after a while. I mean, I had a discussion with somebody. You, you just got to find your own your own basically like a golf swing. You got to just find your own little niche and then just perfect it and, and just repetition because repetition mechanics is the only way that you're going to really get good at your throwing motion. So how about a uh, prediction for the two games that we've broken down today? Washington uh, is hosting Seattle and uh, Philly is in Arizona. Um, who do you like in both those games, Derek? I like Seattle, but I like them late by a field goal. Um, I think this is a game that Russell Wilson's going to have to come back late in. It might be a, you know, 24-23 going into with a minute 40 left in the game and Wilson's got the ball with, you know, on his own 25 and has to go, go the distance to win the game. So I think it's one of those type of games um, that Wilson just kind of pulls out of his – pull out of a hat. Um, and then the Eagles-Cardinals game, um, I think the Eagles pull it off again. Um, as long as they don't have to get the plan B in their, in their offensive game plan. As long as they can stick to their script and what they've been doing um, and they don't have to try and resort to pocket throws or get behind in the game, as long as they can stay ahead of the game and really control the game, I think that they win this game. So, Johnny, if the, the, the football team loses... They'll still remain in first place in the NFC. They, they will. They'll be 6-8, and eight, I believe, yeah. at that point. Uh, the Eagles will be 5-8-1, and one, a half a game behind. I think they play each other the last game of the season, correct? They do. That'll be for oh. the division. Oh, there Massive. you go. Unless somehow the Giants upset the, the Browns, and then they'll be tied for first with uh, – well, they'll be actually in first place against the football team. Yeah. And, you know, watch out for those pesky Cowboys. <laughs> that, that was on Skip and Shannon. That is what Skip and Shannon will talk about. The Cowboys are still – they're only a game and a half out at this point. Derek, I want you to do us a favor if you, if you have a chance the next time, because, again, I was listening to Cosell yesterday driving over to Tampa, and he was so interesting. And he got into a discussion about Drew Locke, and he really likes Drew Locke. He threw out everything that he said, look, he does this wrong. He's mechanics. Talk about mechanics. He has bad mechanics. But if you have a chance to look at any film on Drew Locke, because we would be really interested, and I, I know I would, to hear about him, because early on in the uh, the show, uh, the life of the show, we had Kendall Gammon on, 
who uh, former Kansas City chief, you know, Kendall. Well, he's friends with uh, your, your dad. He's the one who got him on the show with us. And his kid actually played with Drew Locke in like baseball and, and football when he's younger because he's from the Kansas City area. And uh, Cosell said there's just something about him that says he will have success at some point. So if you have a chance to take a look at Drew Locke, I'd be interested to talk about that because he was getting a lot of love prior to the season. And yeah. he had he had some uh, he, he and he obviously he's got a cannon and he's got a lot going for him. But uh, he hasn't caught up with the game yet, uh, seemingly. But uh, take a look at him when you have a chance, because that 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 is interesting. John Elway has struggled to find a quarterback out there in Denver. And I think they have um, they've they've lost some good talent over the years that if they would had a quarterback, I think they'd have uh, they might have challenged some people. So if you have a chance to look at him, because I was really interested because Colin Cowherd was down completely down on lock and Cosell was like, stop, don't do that. You, yeah. you know, you too. The the tape is too short on this guy. And he's there's something about him that looks like he can have success. I'll definitely get to it. And um, I can tell you that I knew he was going to be successful when I saw him singing to Jeezy on the sideline last year. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually listening to the same song to, on the way to work today. And I was just singing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's it. That's it. He's got something. That's the something. All right. Thank you, Derek. Once again, have a Merry Christmas. We won't be doing a show a week from today because it is Christmas Day. What? Have a great time. Travel safe. I know you're heading back home. And, um, you know, stay away from uh, everyone at the airports as best you can. <laughs> and stay healthy. And we'll see you uh, We'll see you after the holiday, man. Thanks again for everything. Thanks, Derek. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All yeah, right. I thought that was yeah. I thought I'm just sorry, Mark. I thought that was so interesting because you know we go back and I try to remember. You know, we used to do this back at the club where we would go back and we'd look at like Street and Smiths and the online stuff about the projections prior to the season and who was getting all the love and what were the projections. And we always discussed it because we talked about the experts are wrong as often as everyone else. And Drew Locke, remember, people were talking. John Elway finally found his quarterback, and boy, did that narrative change very very quickly in an asterisk year let's please remember this is an asterisk to a certain extent year yeah no doubt about it uh we are 45 minutes into our show we have yet to approach the progressive trivia uh so let's Shelby. let's let's do that no no we, we can do that right now well maybe uh, we'll give a all right was right off the bat it's a it's an nba player in honor of uh in honor of john pelkey the voice of the Toronto Raptors, <laughs> who will be doing his first game tonight. It's a preseason game. And then uh, game one is what, Tuesday? Something like uh, that? The 23rd. Right? I think that's uh, Wednesday. That's I Wednesday. Yeah. <clears throat> Very nice. All right. The 23rd, game one, Toronto Raptors. But tonight it's the Heat. They're hosting the Heat yep. at, at the uh, the Reliance Center. They, ha they have a different name uh, for it right now, the Tampa. It's the Amelie Arena. Well, that's not what they call it, though. Well, the, no, uh, that's what it says in my <laughs> script. So that's what they call it. Okay. It still says Amelie on the outside of it, so I'm going to go with it that it's the Amelie Arena. All right, fair enough. The Amelie Arena, even though that's not what it says on the NBA website. But that's okay. It's going to be fun. Maybe the first time out, as you say, welcome to the Amelie Arena. There's going to be although, people although you a they, may, of they may correct you because I think it's pronounced Amelie. Uh, no, I did. I, I, I asked that, and they said Amelie. Oh, wow. So, that's um, crazy. I know. I know. But, you know, it's like anything. You ask pronunciation questions you get five different answers from five different or if it's the if it's some pr staff you get i don't know how to pronounce it so there it is 
There it is. And again, to your point, what matters most is that the organization is treating you uh, like the talent you are, as opposed to previous organizations. No, 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 no. They're treating me like I was a talent I should be. Not, not, not you know, the talent that I am should be, as we've discussed, uh, somewhere in a pauper's grave. They're calling it the Tampa Bay Times Forum, at least on ESPN. So that's what I was referring that's to. What it, that's what it used to be called. That's what it used to be. That's the old yeah, name. Of not it. that anymore. Wow. So, so they've not updated. Uh, was, and job. by the way, that was two iterations ago because I yeah. think it was the Tampa Bay Times Forum, then it was the St. Pete Times Forum, and then it was the Emily Arena. Well, have a great time tonight. Are you nervous at all, Johnny? Oh, I'm, I'm terrified. I'm yeah. absolutely terrified. Good. That's Are good. That's important. That's important. I, I had a rehearsal yesterday and I couldn't eat. <clears throat> wow. Before, yeah, I just, That's good. you know, yeah, it fuels me. But you know what, you know, Mark, in truth, I make fun of you because you're a scaredy cat of, of a lot of things. Um, but I'm, I am fueled by nothing but fear. Right, right. Completely fuels me. <clears throat> We're already sure. getting guesses and we haven't even read the... Uh, Read the thing. And thank you, Lenny, congratulating me on the gig. Yes, nice to have a gig. All right. Played 15-plus years in the NBA. Playoff numbers, 41% three-point shooter. I think that's pretty solid. 900-plus points in the playoffs. It's a a decent showing. Played with multiple teams. Played in five consecutive All-Star games. We're going to do one more because we're so late in the show. Let's do the next set of clues as well. Uh, there we go. 17,000 plus points. First round pick eight playoff appearances with two teams played in the final four along with Georgetown. That doesn't mean with Georgetown. It means Georgetown was in the final four that this is a bit of a time frame thing there. Thank you for that. It, it is. It is. I thought that would be helpful. I think it's important to throw those kinds of things out. Lenny's got a guess. Pretty good one. Ray Allen is not correct. Not a bad guess. Not uh, sure. Sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. The three-point stuff. Yeah, that's that's probably pretty good with there. All right, so let's talk about this weekend, this championship weekend uh, in college football. It should be a lot of fun. First of all, uh, John, your quarterback from your team. <laughs> I hate when you do that. You know I hate when you do that. Uh, Kyle Trask. Yeah. Is Does he have a shot for the Heisman? After, probably uh, not. After last week's uh, loss. Yeah, if – if if they upset Alabama and he puts up huge numbers, he certainly has a chance. But I think he pretty much fumbled that chance away. Um, I think the Alabama quarterback, uh, Mac Jones, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think if they have a good outing, uh, I think he stands a pretty good chance. And their wide receiver as well, I think, is up. This could be one of the first wide receivers to win the uh, Heisman since when? Desmond Howard? Was that the last one? Yeah, it may very well have been, yeah. May very well have been. Yeah, I just the, the you know, the odds makers that I've seen still uh, seem to think that if uh, given what happened with Florida and not only that, but Trask did not play. He played the worst game of the year in in that game. Um, I, I, I would caution everybody to remember LSU was the national champion last year. And yes, they lost players, but they're they're pretty good. And Florida, sadly, had a lot to play for, but didn't play like it. But uh, I, I just uh, I, I think I think Mac Jones probably going to win the thing, but you're right. It'll, it'll more than likely be an Alabama player. Yeah. Proving once again, that they're about, you know, the, the Heisman will surprise you more than the, the, the playoffs, but they're only really a handful of, of players who could win it and a handful of teams that can win it in college football. And it's something they're going to they, have to address. They should promote Alabama to the NFL and relegate the jets to NCAA <laughs> football. But it's, that's nice. That's a nice idea. I like that idea a lot. Of course, the Jets would look like, 
you know, Alabama, Alabama. on steroids. <laughs> no, they look like Alabama. If they, <laughs> they really would. Uh, so, all right. So, do, how do you think that game goes? I think it's Alabama in a route. <clears throat> a route? Well, the Florida defense is not good. They have playmakers. They don't play well together. Uh, they get, they, they're way too susceptible to big plays. Um, Alabama's got more depth. I, I just don't see. Uh, Florida's going to have to do some very, very special things. Um, I, 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 I'm, you know, go Gators. Yes, I would love to see it, but my head's telling me that they're really, really going to have a tough time with Alabama. Can they keep up with them? Can it be just, you know, a 48-52 shootout? No, I don't think it can. I think if Florida were to win the game, it would be something closer to 35-30 to or something in that. I don't think it can. I don't think if you start getting into the 40s, and I start trying to picture what that game is like. I, I just, I just don't see Florida doing that. They can win a high-ish scoring game. They cannot win a big shootout, and uh, I don't think that they can produce a low-scoring game. I don't know that they can. The best thing for them to do would to be able to put together those long drives, and I don't know that they can do that against Alabama. So, uh, really, it all depends. It all comes down to this game in terms of the Heisman Trophy in, in the end, because if. Devonta, what is it? Devonta Adams. Devonta Adams. Devonta Smith. I'm sorry. Devonta Smith uh, and um, and Mac Jones. If if Alabama wins, it'll be one of those two. And More than if, likely. And if and if if Trask wins, it's because he's you know he's led this amazing upset of the by far the number one team. I mean, don't you think this year they look like they're one? And then everyone, and then it's everyone else in the yeah. Because uh, I don't think we know 100 percent what Clemson is. Uh, because uh, the ACC is on really sort of a down uh, a, a downturn, and then with the injury to Trevor Lawrence, who I think would be the favorite for the Heisman Trophy had he had they won, had he played all of the games, um, I, I I I think it is Alabama at yeah. number one. Now that's not saying and the rest. I do believe that Ohio State or Clemson could beat Alabama in a one-off game. Hmm. Uh, Some things would have to happen. You know, they they need to do some things, maybe a special teams touchdown or, you know, maybe an inexplicable game like the Miami Penn State National Championship game where Vinny Testaverde threw, I think, six interceptions or five interceptions. There would have to be something like that. But I do believe Alabama's head and shoulders above everybody else. I still think Notre Dame. How about Northwestern? What uh, Notre Dame? No chance. Yeah, I you I still I I know I don't think they're the same as they always have been though. They're not, really and they're, but they're different. just not there yet. I just don't think they're there yet. I don't think Ian Book, who's played really really well, and that offense, uh, I think defensively, to your point, Jeff, they're better defensively. They're a lot faster. The last time we saw them in a national championship game, Mark, it was so apparent that they did not have the speed to play with uh, SEC and ACC uh, elite teams. They do have that speed on defense now. I don't know that their offense is diverse enough. And certainly the uh, the bookmakers don't agree with you, Jeff. They're 10-point dogs to Clemson this week. I, 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 never, I, I never put my stock in the bookmakers until, well, I guess it is the day before, so maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's tough to beat a team twice. Even good teams, yeah. you know, we talk about that. That's why divisional, you know, Mark, that's why, we, you know, in the NFC least, um, one of those teams can go, uh, if, if someone is broken away from the back, well, let's go to the West. In years where Seattle was head and shoulders above, they'd lose a game to Arizona or they, familiarity makes it, uh, 
you know, it's just difficult to beat good teams twice. And I do think that Clemson is better than Trevor with Trevor Lawrence, though their backup quarterback, whose name I will not attempt to uh, to, to pronounce. Uh, he played well in that game, and he's really not the the reason. But uh, Notre Dame, to Lenny's point, is a good team. I don't think they're as good as Clemson so, week in and week out. So Alabama wins, Clemson wins. Yeah, uh, is that a close game? I think it's I think it's closer because again, I think Notre Dame's defense is. Uh, I think Notre Dame's defense can hold Clemson's offense down. I don't think they're. Uh, to an extent, I don't think you're going to see them throwing up 42 on the Notre Dame defense in this do they, situation. Do they? Uh, do they cover? Oh, what's what's up? Ten? Ten points? No. Okay. I think they lose by a couple of touchdowns. How about Ohio State and Northwestern? I think that is a 20 point spread. Yeah, I think Northwestern covers because I think the Northwestern defense is better uh, than uh, any of the defenses that Ohio State has seen up to this point. And uh, it's, it's it's so hard in the Big Ten because of the lack of games played. And for an Ohio, the problem for Ohio State, as I see it, if they win this game and they get to the 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 playoff, is that they just haven't, with the exception of the um, uh, the Indiana game, which Indiana is a Indiana is a much better football team than people knew because even after their starting quarterback, the Penix kid who plays very well went down. Indiana has been a tough out. Um, I, I just haven't seen them challenged enough to know what they're going to do against good football teams. And sadly for Northwestern, defensively they are very good. Pat Fitzgerald could have any college job that opens up at any point in time from everything that I've been reading and hearing. He is a hot commodity who will more than likely stay at Northwestern, but offensively, I just don't think that they can put up points on the, on the Buckeyes. It just, you know, it's, I, I just, I don't see that happening, but there's so, so little film on these teams. Who knows? The Buckeyes end up uh six. No. Yeah. Now if a uh, USC beats Oregon, who is replacing Washington in the PAC 12 championship game, might make it a better game, by the way. Possibly Washington had a better record, but they don't yeah. they can't I think, field the team right. because of COVID uh, restrictions and protocols and the like. And I think but Oregon that, has more talent, though, and that they've just underperformed a little bit, frankly, as you know, all Pac-12 teams seem to do from time to time. Which SD has not done yet. They're five and zero. Oh, so if mm-hmm. they they beat Oregon and they finish six and zero, oh, mm-hmm. and Ohio State beats Northwestern and they and they finish six and zero, oh, you could argue USC's schedule was probably a little bit tougher, even though yeah. a lot of those teams are under 500 as well uh, that they've beaten. Um, why haven't they gotten the same amount of love? Is it just because where they started in the rankings? That yeah, same well, bullshit? I think so. And I think there is a tendency to, to discount the Pac-12. Uh, I, I just don't think that uh, they get a level of respect. I, I don't know. I understand why, because, you know, as we talk about every year, Mark, their favorite team will always go, you know, the, the number one team will go drop a game to, to a bad Cal team or a bad Arizona team. It's just what happens in the Pac-12 for whatever reason. Um, but uh, I think that they should get a nod, at least a look. But I have a feeling that the committee has probably already excised the Pac-12 from their thinking. Oklahoma, I'm sorry, Oklahoma, Iowa State is going to be a great game, by the way, yeah. and that that'll be a lot of fun. And if whoever wins that will have had a very successful season, there's no doubt about it. Big 12, very much like the Pac-12 in terms yeah. of they they eat their own. They uh, do. 
quite a and bit. And Iowa State's a very good football team. They, they really they are. are. Very and, good. and that's probably going to be more one of the more entertaining games uh, out Closer there. Closer game could very well be. Would not be shocked at all if Iowa State wins that but game. But in the end, Jeff and John, in the mm. end, yeah. would you take – Oh, uh, would you take Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Alabama as the four teams in the college football playoff, or would you take the field, meaning any other combination that exists in the history of mankind, that or would you take the four that I gave you? I'd take Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Ohio State. As would I. Yes, yeah. I, I agree. Now, there's been discussion. I heard this yesterday driving over to Tampa uh, that uh, uh, – that, uh, there's a lot of push to expand the playoff to eight teams and this that, year? It could, that it could no, uh, but as early as next year, they <laughs> can do on, it. Make it this year as early as next year. I don't think you'd be able to pull it off this year. Um, but uh, the there's a lot of bowls that are being canceled though, John, you'd yeah, there are that. Yeah, there are a lot, of, a lot of stadiums that are going to be sitting empty. You yeah, have realized the bowls. The bowls that are canceling are not the bowls that would have those teams that would round out the top eight. You know, you don't have the Cotton Bowl and the Peach Bowl canceling. You have lower level. I don't think the Armed Forces Bowl is, has, has canceled yet, which will be the day Mark throws the party. Um, but uh, because he's anti-military. Why do you hate the troops, Mark? Um, but uh, I, I, I do. Anyway, those games are not going to be canceled. But here's the thing with the eight team uh, playoff is I don't think that's going to solve all the problems, Mark. I agree with the people who say if you want to solve the problems of every year, because Kirk Herbstreit came out and said, listen, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, I'll, I'll, I'll bet you that they'll be in next year's national champion. It'll be those three teams and somebody else, because that seems to be pretty much chalk. Is it's those three teams? And one year we had a Washington, you know, maybe you can get a, a Pac-12 team in possibly here and there, or Oklahoma, obviously, in, in other years has been there. But to, if you really, really want to um, level this playing field, you're going to have to drop teams. You're going to have to drop the number of scholarships so that Alabama cannot load up. You know, because at this point, Clemson, you're a South Carolina fan, Mark. Um, Clemson can give a kid a scholarship to keep him away from South Carolina if they want or to keep him away from. Florida State or Do you reduce scholarships for all schools or all just- schools. Oh. You reduce scholarships. How is for- that going to how is that going to even anything out? It's going to even it out because what's going to happen is some of those guys who would uh, otherwise go to Alabama, they won't be able to have 16 defensive backs. So that means that these guys who are elite enough to play at Alabama will will go somewhere else and play because those scholarships are just not available to them. So you will spread out the talent pool, because right now you have guys who are good enough to start almost everywhere else who will go to Alabama and be a second-string player. Now, they're going there because they want to win national championships, and they believe that they'll eventually be the starter. Um, But that doesn't work out for all of them. And you've got to eliminate the depth of those top teams. And by expanding the playoffs, the argument is – that kids will see that those other four teams that have now made their way into the playoff still don't have a chance. Look at the average scores of these semifinal games, Mark. They're double-digit victories for teams. There haven't been a lot of close games in the playoff right now to this point. I think that 
Um, if you expand it to eight or probably 16 is most preferable. It's not going to go to 16. Just stop talking about it. It's Why never going to happen. It will not happen. You said eight wouldn't happen, and now it's maybe happening next year. You you said eight would never happen. Uh, you know, I never said eight would never happen. Sure, I said I thought sure. six would happen, and and I would. Uh, I don't ever remember saying I didn't think eight would happen, but that one wouldn't shock me. 16, uh, no. It, it's just that you're never going to get to a 16 team to play off in my mind, at least over the next decade or more. Well, to me, that's the way to, uh, to, to make things a little bit more fair because then you have a better chance of having an upset. And then you, you have, could have an upset, but you're still going to year in and year out. You're still going to nine times out of 10, you're going to have the same pe- teams winning unless you start limiting scholarships. And I don't know about that. I'm, I, you make an argument that makes sense on its surface but I don't know how many of these ideas where the poor essentially are 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 punished as much as the rich that doesn't that there are not they're not it's not punished in the same way, Mark. What you're gonna do is you're gonna you're gonna take away blue chippers who are are Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State can offer scholarships to knowing that more than likely they are not going to be starting players. Those players are gonna end up elsewhere. So, I mean, yes, you'll have fewer scholarships. What's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of guys who, uh, yes, you will have bottom echelon uh, Division One college football players, if they even still call it that, um, who will end up not playing uh, on scholarship at, at schools like that. You're going to have kids at Mississippi who, you know, the last five scholarship players will not be playing at Mississippi. They may have to go and play at a Wyoming or a Nevada, Las Vegas, or just, you know, pick a smaller school. So that's why it's not, this will punish the rich more than it punishes the poor. I know on the surface, it seems like it will. And it makes us, it, it makes sense on the surface. That argument makes sense on the surface, but when you reduce the opportunity for these kids overall, from a big picture point of view, on in a macro, you've reduced everything by a third or whatever the number turns out to be. I'm not sure that's going to benefit anyone except the big schools again. No, it's going to benefit. It's going to benefit your second level. In my mind, it's going to benefit your second level schools that uh, don't have a chance to climb into. You know, you're going to have teams that consistently win seven games and go and play in a in, in a decent bowl. Uh, they're going to start getting better players. The Alabamas and the Ohio State will have fewer blue chip athletes, so you're going to have a better chance. You can expand the playoff too. I have no issue with that. That's great. Eight teams, reduce scholarships, because otherwise, you know. No, I mean, I get the point. The point is makes perfect sense. That, But just by expanding the playoffs, I don't think it changes anything. They can't have defensive ends, you know, that that are on scholarship. And so no one can get any of these great defensive ends. I mean, I I understand your point about that. That makes sense on the surface. I'm just um, I'm just skeptical of those kinds of ideas. You just want a 16 team playoff. And that's just you have a 16 team playoff. If you had a 16 team playoff in any given year, there's still five teams, six teams that could win the thing in my mind. You might get an early upset of somebody, but I don't think you're going to get an early upset of Alabama. You know, like this year, you might get an early upset of Notre Dame, who's a very good team and better, but they're not to the elite level of a Clemson or an There's Alabama. Just, it, I, I mean, I agree with that. I we agree with that in principle, but we, we've we seen this in the NFL. Now, granted, the NFL is a lot closer uh, together than, uh, than it is in, in college football, but if there's more games to play in the playoffs, mm-hmm. then the chances, by definition – 
are there's there's that much more of a chance that you might lose. It's it's harder to go thirteen and zero than it, it is, is to go twelve and zero. For instance, it, it, it is. But I I think it's I don't I, I think it's apples and oranges in the NFL because and and college football because no, the I, talent level is just. I agree, really but good. if you have a you have a game that you struggle against Cincinnati round one, and then round two you're struggling against a Florida, say, you know, and this, by round three you may not have have may not have that much left in the tank, you know, and, and that's the other thing, John, how, why can the FCS, why do they have no issues with playoffs every just different year? Why, it's can't, just, why can't the FBS match that or at least bank off of some of that template that's been out there for decades? Well, I believe there are more FCS schools. So that's, you know, that's uh, part of it. Um, but Lenny bringing up a good point. Uh, FCS 16 team playoff. And when's the last time North Dakota state wasn't in it there, there are four or five teams in, in FCS too, that are year in and year out there. Um, I, I really think what you have to do, because it's the thing, this goes back to, you know, when bear Bryant was at Alabama and was having all that success, he had like 137 guys on scholarship. He had guys he knew would never step foot on the field, but he couldn't let Auburn get them. You're going to have to limit scholarships. I think it's the only way you start limit, uh, uh, Leveling well, the playing field. The Alabamas and the Ohio States are still going to dominate, but maybe dominate a little bit less. If you're looking, you're you're looking for a tournament where you get a Villanova uh, or you get a North Carolina State or something like that. And sure, that'll happen. But let's look at the NCAA tournament and really see in college basketball how often does that really happen? How often do the teams in the Final Four not among the twelve or so teams, fifteen teams in college basketball, because I think we agree that those are really the numbers of teams that could possibly win a national championship. Well, all right, you mentioning uh, NCAA Final Four, and 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 I agree with that on principle, John. I do. I think that's the only way to limit the depth of these super teams, if you will. And yeah. when you limit the depth of them, you're going to uh, make them weaker by definition. Right. And. Uh, I, I just don't. I just don't know how they automatically go to these other places. But maybe they. Maybe they do. Well, they have to go somewhere. There's that many blue chippers. I mean, do do we agree? I mean, certainly the last ten years have shown us that Alabama probably has most of their second string are blue chippers as well. Certainly yeah, in absolutely. certainly in the important positions: defensive end, quarterback, maybe Mark, even running back. There are teams in the Southeastern Conference that the second 11 on Alabama's defense would replace everyone on their starting defense. Yeah. All right. And I don't just mean Vandy. I don't mean Vandy either. I mean like the Mississippi's, Mississippi states of the world. Yeah. You could probably go a level deeper too. You could probably go to third string. You could find certainly guys on those third strings that could start, you know, you could find guys on Ohio State's third string that would start for Northwestern's defense. So is that going to happen? Is limiting scholarships going to happen? I I, hope, I, I, ho- I hope so. And the reason why I hope so is because those scholarships could go to other athletes of other sports, which I think is is good because. Yeah, I, I think I, that, could, that could happen, too. But there's going to be I, I think there is going to be a big change. Uh, I don't think it'll ever be a 16 team playoff, at least in my lifetime. So not in the next two, three years. Um, but uh, I, 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 I do think that if they want to solve the problem, the yeah. first thing you have to do is limit scholarships. All right. You made your argument very clearly, very well, and I hope you know. I hope you're right, and I hope it happens. And I'd 18, like to see that. And 18, 18 playoffs would be wonderful as well. My goodness, it'd be phenomenal. Five, and, uh, you get the five power conferences, and, and you three get wild three, cards. And three wild card teams, and you Perfect. could. You're you're absolutely right. You could get a team that that catches fire or has 
a a a uh, a a, a generational player for that program, like a, yeah, I don't know, like a Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M. They, they were, you know, they could have upset anyone that year. Um, right. If things went, yeah, exactly. But could they win three games in a playoff scenario? Probably not. Well, it'd be fun this year. Cause you get a Texas A&M in there. You'd get a Florida in there. You'd yeah. This year might be a little bit different because of what everyone's gone through, but I still think, what, what have we seen? No, this I, year, Mark? no, no it's, it's, it's going to be Alabama. Chalk everywhere. Whole- and be Alabama. The whole thing's Alabama. All and right, New Orleans and Kansas City in the Super Bowl. That's what you're going to have. Just or maybe or Green Bay. Green Bay. Yeah, I think it's Green Bay, Kansas City, which is fun. You know, and possibly Bowl. Seattle could sneak in. But other than that, there's no, there's no chance. It's Kansas City, though. That's the thing. In the end, it's going to be Kansas it's, City. It's going to be Kansas Alabama, City. Dodgers right. and the Lakers. Yeah, that's it. So uh, there you go. Uh, so and you know we're one of a uh, thousand and five sports podcasts talking about chalk for 2020. Let's talk about NCAA basketball, though, because that has to do with some of the clues coming up for our progressive trivia. Let's review the first eight. And uh, we'll get some NCAA, some more NCAA stuff, Johnny. I know you love that. Played 50-plus years, playoffs, 41% three-point shooter, very solid, 900-plus points in the playoffs, played with multiple teams, played in five consecutive All-Star games. That's, That's not every guy that does that. 17,000 points in his career, first-round pick, eight playoff appearances, two teams. Played in the Final Four along with Georgetown, uh, Johnny, so that's that limits you to a certain era. Went to three consecutive conference finals, played for eight head coaches, three of which played with the Celtics. Come on now, come on now. Led the league in true shooting percentage once. I'm not sure what that stat actually means, but he led the league in true shooting percentage once. And his college head coach, Went to the NCAA tournament 18 times and only one Final Four. 18 times as college head coach. And he played for eight coaches in the NBA, three of which played uh, for the Celtics, which was a lot of fun. I I thought when I read that, that that was just to prove that you weren't putting out a false clue. It was true shooting. He led the league in true shooting percentage. (laughs) Because that's my reputation somehow. Mm. Did we ever? Did we ever? Oh, we did come back to the idea that I had a misprint in the last one. That was why everyone was thrown yeah, off. That's why everybody got it wrong. Where's the misprint in this one? Because that's got to be throwing me off. There's got to be one. Well, it, oh, there was going to be a misprint, but he turned it into the true shooting percentage. Mm. That's so, uh, shooting percentage. First of all, Johnny, what what years are we talking about with Georgia in the uh, Georgetown in the Final Four? Uh, it's got to be um, early nineties, early eighties. Oh, it's all the way back to early 80s? Didn't they? I thought they snuck in on a year in the early 90s. Uh, early 80s. Early 80s. And uh, this coach was a phenomenal coach, but he only got his team there one time, and it was with this player. And um, so, yeah, so it was it was the Ewing era of... Uh, oh, going back that far. Of Georgetown basketball. Um. Oh gosh! I yeah. See, you're just this is this is not entertaining podcasting. So I think you're just going to have to give the answer at this point because me just going, um, geez, I don't know. It's not really okay. working for anybody. Uh, his coaches in the NBA that were Celtics were Cowens, um, Larry Bird, and Don Nelson. That should help. It's not going to help, Mark. No, you know, it's not. Okay. It really isn't. No. Uh, I'm, I'm not in a trivia headspace right now, pal. I got to be honest with you. I am not in a college basketball trivia headspace. 
Hang on, before we before we do this, Jeff. Oh gosh, uh, let's do. So, I'd like to apologize to everyone for Mark dragging this out beyond where it belongs. All right, so we're just going to give it away at this point. Well, I, I mean, I don't. It. You're asking me, and I'm not coming up with anything. All right, let's go. Sadly, let's I'm go. not coming up. I apologize. It's okay. It's fine. It's no problem. You should feel I, good. This is all you want to do is stump me. And you here did. we go. The answer is. The answer is. <laughs> good God. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. There it is. Chris Mullen. Oh, oh okay. Well, that makes sense. Chris I guess Mullen. that makes sense. I don't that, know that enough. That was a really good progressive trivia, by the way, Mark, because it I was. made a guess early on just based on your past performances, and I figured it was a Toronto Raptor, so I guessed Vince Carter. I would have never made my way to Chris Mullen. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good so one. I guess my past performances have, have uh, helped me in the end. There's, the yeah, there was, there's always, there. I feel like there's, there's a tie-in. Yeah, there's always a theme. Well, I guess the theme was just NBA. The theme was just NBA. Yeah, that was the only attachment was the fact that Johnny is uh, starting his NBA career tonight. <laughs> and uh, we want to celebrate that on our 100th episode, by the way, which yeah. we didn't talk about at all this entire yeah. time. Now, look at all that were well over time, so I don't think it should be mentioned. <laughs> I mean, John is so unhappy right now. He just feels like, you know, the, the, the show He's is going on and on about it. If I tell you, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and I am not the, you know, I, I love you. You and Riley rose the Kings of the extra clues. Screw that. I couldn't get it on the, the number of clues you gave. Tell me what the answer is. And frankly, I, I can't remember Chris Mullins NBA career. Frankly, he was good. He was, uh, he was, I remember he was good, but I don't remember him playing what multiple teams he played with, to be honest. Indiana and Golden State, and that's Larry Bird and, and Don Nelson. I just know. don't remember him with the Pacers. I have Played to be for honest. St. John. But yep, Luke Karnasek. Luke Karnasek is, is, the, is the guy that has gone to 18 you know, NCAA tournaments and one, went to one Final Four mm. uh, the year that um, – it was the year after – I think it was the Villanova year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was the three teams from the uh, Big East in the yeah. Final Four. Yeah. Villanova, St. John's, and Georgetown. Yeah. So there it is. So there it is. Yeah, All well right. done. <laughs> Johnny, uh, last thoughts before you embark on your uh, NBA career and leave Jeff and I in the dust. I won't be leaving anybody in the dust. Just doing 17, I think 17 games. Poor uh, Raptors, 20, uh, their first 37 games, 20 of them are on the road because um, they're trying to, it, should they get back to Toronto, give them, give them more home games. But uh, no, I'm excited about it. It's uh, it, it, they, they couldn't be any nicer to me. My only trepidation is in the actual calling of the game as far as the type of fouls and all of that sort of thing. You know, I, I'm trying to bone up on referees uh, on what their hand signals are because uh, the, the PA announcer for the, uh, for the Raptors told me, you know, sometimes they don't say it. They're just giving you the – they generally will say, you know, pushing foul, da 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 so I'm just, you know, a little nervous about all of that sort of stuff. Um, hopefully pronouncing names correctly. Uh, there's some I, dispute I already over the arena name. What's yeah, I, I, I feel like you need to take a poll because I watch oh, a no, no, lot no. of Lightning Capitals games. Yeah, yeah I, I, I thought the same. And I specifically asked one of the workers uh, there and not, you know, not just somebody on my level, someone who actually has some level of power and said Amelie. But huh. I will, uh, I I will check that. I will look. Yeah, and the, the the lightning broadcasters definitely call it the Emily Arena. Well, let me tell you something. As a student of broadcasting, never ever go with broadcasters for pronunciations because, as I found out with the Braves, Mark, and as did you, um, Andrew Jones 
for years by the Braves broadcasters was called Andrew Jones because his name is spelled a little differently. And uh, we were told in no uncertain terms, yeah, no, it's it's Andrew. We told them they just don't want I'm going to call him Andrew, no matter what you say. Hey, Stop by the way, the hand signal, the last hand signal you want to see from the referees tonight, which means you're not doing a good job, is this one. <laughs> I'll probably get a lot of that. I will probably get a lot of that. I'll be operating from the school of thought that if you if, if you don't think you're going to say it right, don't say it at all. Saying nothing is better than saying the wrong thing. And please don't talk when a guy's about ready to t- take a free free throw. As as Mark and and will you be on the floor? Yeah, I'm on the floor. Yep, that's just sure. so much fun. Come center on, now. Court. You're gonna be center right court next on the to Eric Spolstra. You're gonna see Eric Spolstra live and in person, and we're you're gonna see the the kind of vibe he uh, he gives off. Is 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 he a you know a top five all time coach vibe, or is he you know a guy right. hanging by his fingernails because he happened to have a run in, in 2020? He's probably I think he's probably pretty good. And by the way, Nick Nurse, pretty good coach too. So a couple of good coaches uh, there. Nick Nurse, the 2019-2020 uh, NBA Coach of the Year. So uh, yeah, so should be should be interesting. The Raptors have uh, their rosters changed a little bit. Uh, again, a preseason game, so we might see you know they might go a little deeper bench wise, but uh, should be fun over there. I think there'll be a couple thousand people in the in the building, maybe. So hopefully we we'll get a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, entertainment going. But here's the other thing, Mark. I didn't You'll, realize. I didn't realize that. Yeah, we're one of only five arenas, I think, where there will be a, some level of fandom. Wow, I did not realize that. That's going to yeah, be very interesting to, to observe. Yeah, Man, and it'll be interesting when, in a Heat game, how many Raptor fans are we going to have versus how many Heat fans? I have a feeling it's going to be a little Heat-centric for uh, for the game. But, uh, you know, preseason. Get, get this preseason one under my belt. I'll feel better about it. But thank there you for you making me even more nervous than, than I am. John Pelkey starting his NBA career tonight uh, right. after our 100th episode of After Further Review. Derek uh, Abbott, we'd like to thank one more time. Does a great job. No thank locks you, and shocks. As always. Oh, think, see? Thank you very much. Yeah, good call. I totally forgot about it because you were just bullying me to get out of the show because we, the show was just so lame in your mind. So, um, yeah. Do you have a lock and a shock, Johnny? Uh, my lock uh, for this game uh, for this week, and I actually had more trouble with my lock than my shock because I don't want to be, you know, I didn't want to say Green Bay over Carolina, though I think Carolina might give them a game, and I think they they may be in the right direction depending on what they get quarterback-wise uh, moving forward. But um, uh, my lock is going to be um, – let me give you my shock first. All right. I think Dallas beats San Francisco. Yeah, that was going to be my shock, so I'll move on to something else. Yeah, I, I think Dallas is going to beat San Francisco. I agree with that. Uh, but my, uh, my lock is, uh, is going to fall with uh, – gosh – my shock, my other shock was going to be uh, Houston upsetting Indianapolis, but uh, my 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 lock because I don't know why I feel that the locks are so tough. Uh, my lock is going to be Seattle over the Washington football team, five points. I think it'll be within a, a touchdown. They may not cover; it may be a field goal, but I think again, uh, I, I think Washington, Washington, yes, they want to get in the playoffs and everything, but I I think there's an experiment going on there, trying to find out what uh, offensively particularly what they have and what they're going to need for next year as much as what they need this year. So your lock is Seattle covering their five points. They're giving yeah. away five points and your shock is Dallas. Pretty good. Pretty solid. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give that as the lock though. I I my lock may not come because I think it could just end up being a field goal. But I think Seattle. Uh, I think in the, in the end, Seattle's gonna beat them by probably a touchdown or so. My lock is Miami. I think okay. favored by two over New England. They always seem to have their number, even when they don't have a good team, when they mm-hmm. host in Miami. So now that they do have a good team, I think uh, Miami's going to take care of business and take care of business uh, nicely. And they're going to keep themselves in that AFC playoff race, even though they're on the outside right now looking in. And then I think the shock is I'm going to go with the Eagles. They've got six points to work with. And I think they'll keep it close against Arizona, even though they have to travel across the country for it. I just think you made the best point, John, practicing now. They're going to have an idea of how to deal with Kyler Murray. Maybe. Yeah, maybe a little bit more. And and I, and I think Derek made a good point about Cliff Kingsbury's teams. And, and you know, there there's a little bit of a John Gruden thing there where season, yeah. at the end of the season, yeah. they don't they don't play as well. Interesting news, though, coming into this weekend. A little surprise. Saints Drew Brees is going to start against Kansas City. I was a little surprised. Uh, that that, that that was going to happen. And there were arguments out there that they should not start him, just keep him off the field um, and continue with Taysom Hill and, because it's uh, for twofold, because you want Breeze healthy for the run in the playoffs, and then also that uh, that y- getting Taysom Hill more st- uh, snaps at quarterback really expands what you can do with him as a slash-type player once Breeze comes back. But it uh, looks like Breeze is going to start. Interesting. Interesting. They're uh, on the outside looking in for that number one seed at the moment, and I'm not sure they're going to get it back. Certainly not this week. I don't think Green Bay. They may not cover, but I don't know if they're going to lose to Carolina. And uh, Kansas City, New Orleans, that's a fun game. It is. And who knows? We can see that one. Yeah, exactly. That could go either way. There's no doubt about it. And we could see that again in February. We could. Very easily. I I think it's headed toward Kansas City, Green Bay, Super Bowl one. All right, fair enough. And... um, Kansas City, chalk, chalky, chalky, chalk. All right. right, our locks and shocks. That's pretty fun. Uh, that's it. Finally, we are. This is our set, third or fourth ending. We had three false endings up at this point. Hundredth show. Yes, it's a hundred. Throwback to the ninety-minute shows of the past. So there it was. <laughs> there it is for John, for Jeff, for Derek. I'm Mark. Have a safe and fun weekend. Go Raptors. Mm-hmm.